0: Welcome to the Road by Road Garden Show, the best dead gum gardening show on the radio and the internet as well. Glad you're with us this evening. We got another special guest in the house, Glenn <laughs> Harris. Dr. Glenn Harris has been with us before, and he's back again this evening. And we're going to talk about some in depth stuff on some cover crops that's really going to be interesting. Welcome, Glenn.
1: Thanks for having me back. Yep. Good to be here. So, tell
0: folks who you are, again. guess. Well, may, may have forgotten or.
1: Yeah, Glenn Harris, I work with the University of Georgia here in Tifton. I'm an extension specialist for soils and fertilizers. I work a lot of row crops, cotton and peanuts, uh, but I'm also a, a big gardener. My dad and father-in-law were big gardeners, so I got gardening in my blood. A Yankee, but a forgiven Yankee. I'm a transplant Yankee. A forgiven I'm Yankee. a damn Yankee. Yeah, you're okay. forgiven Yankee. <laughs> <Okay. Yeah. laughs>
0: Thank you. Yeah, so what you got going on in
1: your garden? Um, My my broccoli and collard plants are coming along good, and um, I even had some sunflowers about to bloom. Yep. And my cucumbers, they got ate up with disease, but... Yeah. um, You
0: win some, you lose some. uh,
1: My my wife had some in pots, they did a little better, so she won that contest, but... uh, And I just planted some things a little late, but uh, English peas, and Mm -hmm. beets, and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. You like beets? I do like beets.
0: You know, beets is one of those things for me that came later in life. Uh, I didn't like them when I was a young man, but I've, I've learned to prepare them in a different kind of way, and I'm a big fan of beets.
1: It's an acquired taste. It's
0: acquired taste, but pickled beets are good.
1: In Australia, they, they either shred them or slice them and put them on your hamburgers. Really? Yeah, but most Americans take them and flick them off, so they call us beet flickers. That's one of our nicknames <laughs> over in Australia. If you ever go to Australia, check that yeah. out. Yeah.
0: So what about fried green tomatoes?
1: I like fried green tomatoes.
0: Well, let me, uh, let me show you something right here. Yeah. You got some ranch dressing over the side. You like yours with ranch, or you just like them by the side? Hard to beat ranch. It is ranch. So there's this lady on the internet, and she is from Alabama, and her name is Brenda Gantz, older lady. My wife is a huge fan of Brenda Gantz. And Brenda Gantz, we thought we knew how to do fried green tomatoes because we was raised here in the South. But she quarters them up in these little nuggets. And fries.
1: I've never seen them like that. And
0: I tell you, I'm a huge fan. You've I never really seen am. Them like that. We've been the last few times we've been preparing them this way.
1: Mm. Now, is that a special batter? Is that her batter? Or...
0: It's half cornmeal and half flour.
1: Good. Okay. Very good. Excellent.
0: And it's the reason is it's real easy to prepare. And I'm gonna give everybody like I I, I cooked one one serving of them, so I'm an expert now. But you quarter them up, dip them in milk, and then put them in your, your batter and kind of roll them around there and just pan fry
1: them. I might need a second one, we'll make sure that first one does a fluke. yeah, yeah. Make sure that first one's a fluke, you know. So we
0: got onions, uh, planting our onions, my seed crop, my multiplying onions, we've been planting those left and right. Mm, now folks, we hope to have next week, maybe the end of next week or the week after we hope to have our onion plants in and we're gonna get those shipped out. You folks that's been waiting patiently on those, we appreciate it. We've had a little bit of a cooler fall than we normally have, and it's kind of slowed the onion plants down just a little bit. We're running about a week behind, but we hope within the next two weeks to have those in and be getting them out to you so you'll have plenty of time to get them planted. I got collars growing, I got cabbage growing, I got karabi growing. Man, uh, just planted some beets, just planted some radishes, breakfast radishes. Look at here.
1: And radishes grow fast.
0: They do. And I'm going to tell you, that is what I, what I call garden candy
1: right there. you ever try? I bet you we can get five radish crops a year if we try. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: Forty-five, 30 to 45 days you can grow those suckers right there. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, they're a little bit on the spicy side, but not bad. You ever bad. grow that watermelon one?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's pretty cool.
0: It is. It has a really nice color to it. hmm Radishes, is beans. Is hot? Some of them are hot. tad spicy. I'll let you have one yeah. here. Yeah, let me try one. It's not bad. It's just got a little bit of spice to it. Strawberries got our strawberries planted. So we got everything kicking along.
1: Goes good with fried green tomatoes. It
0: does. And uh, you know, we've been as I mentioned, we've had a cooler fall than we than I remember. Do you or not?
1: Um I was just glad it stopped raining. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it has been cool.
0: It has. It's been yep. a little cooler to yep. me than I than yep. I remember it being.
1: Yep. So yep.
0: you know, we take what we'll take what they give us. That's right. Yep. That's right. All right, so we're going to do a deep dive into cover crops. And, folks, we've got some very interesting information to give you on cool season cover crops today. Glenn has done a lot of work over the years with cover crops. I have.
1: Legumes. You told me how many years did you work on legumes? Uh, Well, I started 28 years ago and I worked hard at them for at least 15. Yeah. Very intriguing
0: plant to me.
1: It is. Got away from them and gotten back into them now. Yeah. Big big, big push for cover crops, well, like we're talking about all this carbon yeah, credits and right. uh, the Soil Health Institute uh, is pushing them good. And, and overall, it's a good thing for sure.
0: You know, you was mentioned earlier that y'all really, as far as the university, y'all really made a big push toward cover crops a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Kind of fell out of flavor. Mm-hmm. And now it's, you see that push coming back, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, the, the pigweed resistance in our field crops didn't help, and then a the burrowing bug and and, um, and peanuts but we've I think we've learned to handle those again and, and uh, you know it's just coming around again. Uh, yeah. You know when you think about it, our soils, you know, they're sandy, they're acid, low in fertility but we can we can lime, we can fertilize, we can water. What's the last thing we probably really need to do that we could help our soils is build our organic matter. Right. And some people think around here you can't build it at all and, and no, no, no doubt we have our challenges. We're not going to ever build it to the you get like in, in Ohio or Michigan. but. You know, when you start with half percent, if you can go to 1%, you just doubled it, Right. you know. And then we have the depth issue, too. How deep can we, you know, can we build it? So we got, we got some challenges there, but um, it, it really, really would help um, improve our soils for sure.
0: Now when we talk about organic matter in the soils, when you get your soil sample done, you can actually pay just a little bit extra to get your organic matter tested. Yeah. Within and, that soil and sample. And I
1: wouldn't test that every year probably unless you just put on a bunch of compost or something and want to see if, you know, what it what it brought mm-hmm. you to or whatever, but uh, cuz it's not going to change a lot like things like pH and and potassium does in our soils, but uh but you can get it tested um and now there's actually a whole that soil health is the big thing, and there's a whole host of things you can get looked at. I'm not sure we know all what they mean yet, mm-hmm. um, but but you know eventually, it, a lot of it comes down to just respiration measurements, which is goes back to how much carbon you have in the soil, which is what you're going to get when you run organic right. matter soil samples. So it, it's kind of all connected. But uh, yeah, it, it's very interesting, and uh, um, you, you can test it and see where you are. But you're, you know, in a, in a field situation, like I said, half to one percent is common. But now a garden situation. We have a little, you know, smaller areas. We have a bigger, a better opportunity to build that.
0: So up north, it's nothing for those guys up there to have 5% 5%. organic. Now down here in the south, years ago, I forgot who it was. I talked to somebody at UGA in Tifton, and they told me they had gotten a plot in Tifton up to
1: 5%. Yeah, it might be uh, Sherrod Fatak. He worked with cover crops for years. I said,
0: man, you really got, you did
1: something. Well, you know, you got to be careful of that number, too, because like I said, depth. I can build you to 5% in the top inch. But now, you know, my, my kind of gauge is if you can start building up to even two, two and a half percent in the top three or four inches, you've done something around here, especially if you're growing a peanut. Because mm-hmm. we disturb the soil down to at least three or four inches on peanut, really stirred up. That's what burns that organic matter back up. So, you know, it's one of these things where a lot of times we take two steps forward and one step back and we till it, that kind of thing. So, um, but five percent, but yeah, that'd be very unusual
0: so you go i mean if you could realistically in the garden situation if you could get two to three percent you're really knocking it out of the the, the part down here
1: right yeah into significant depth what know, three four three inches, inches like i said yeah, yep. yep yep yep
0: now what is the benefit to having that organic that high organic matter in your soil
1: i mean there are, I, I can show you i have this graph i use for class there's probably 30 things on this graph of and some of them you know kind of give you that warm and fuzzy feeling but what a lot of it comes down to for us is organic matter will help you hold water and nutrients. When you think about it, too, two some of the biggest things plants need mm-hmm. to grow besides sunlight and what, and some heat. Um, but but if we can do a better job holding our water that we irrigate with or rain fed, and then and then holding the fertilizer nutrients we put out there or grow in place, um, that's that's what organic matter really does for you.
0: Yeah, we have this little thing called a cation exchange value yeah, that yeah. you soil scientists like to talk about. Yeah,
1: yeah. I've, I've, you know, I've been doing this 28 years, and I try to boil it down and, and, and think logically. And the best way, in 10 words or less, we like to kid around. It's going to be more than that. But, <laughs> um, you know, soils have a net negative charge. Mm-hmm. Think of it like magnets. There's pluses and minuses, but they have a lot more minuses. Where do those minus charge comes from? They come from clay and organic matter. Two things we actually don't have a whole lot of compared to, like we said, other parts of the country. Right. But negative charges hold a lot of the positive charge things. Cations are positive charge, anions are negative charge. So, the that negative charge of the soil from clay and organic matter will help hold, and some of our, our, our fertilizer nutrients we really need, like potassium, calcium, magnesium, they're positively charged cations. And if the more clay and organic matter you have, the better you'll be at holding those cations. Those cation's actually exchange. It's it's like musical chairs. Mm-hmm. There's so many negative charges they can go on and off. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a seat at the uh, you know a seat, you're out and floating around, and you could be taken up by the plant or you could be leaching right. out or whatever. But uh, but that's what cation exchange is.
0: What cation exchange value? What range should we shoot for in the soils?
1: Yeah, um, you know, and how's
0: that how's that measured? Is it on most soil samples or not? I forgot.
1: Um, it's a lot of private labs. We, okay. don't, we don't report it in UGA because. It seems like really I've remember. seen it on a private lab. Ours before. are so low overall, there's not enough difference to really make a difference on how we'd recommend fertilizers um, on ours. Because we're, we're talking CCs around here, you know, three, four, five. Um, I could tell you the units, it doesn't matter. Whereas in the Midwest, like we said, with 5% organic matter, they're going to have like cation exchange capacities of around 25. So that's kind of your range. Right.
0: For, right. So therefore, it takes a lot less fertility there.
1: And it, than hold it, it is holds better. For, and it holds
0: better than it is for us. Yep. So we have this big problem with things washing out with us here. These nitrogens, man, they'll just get out of here in no time. And uh, some of these other things, it just just gets away from us in a hurry. You know, we have warm weather. We have good soils we can work. Man, we have a lot of problems with whole soil nutrients. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason that organic matter is so important. Now, when we talk about organic matter, we're not talking about organic gardening. This should be everybody's goal is to have more yep. organic matter in the soil, regardless what kind of gardening you do whether it's organic or not. Yep, yep. So.
1: Yep. And you can grow it in place or you can try to bring it in. And right. Again, it's a lot easier to bring it in a garden situation than a 150-acre cotton field.
0: Yeah. So. so if you can get your hands on some good compost, man, mm-hmm. pump it to it. I've always mm-hmm. said good compost is make you look like a hero, mm-hmm. make you look like you really know what you're doing. But if you don't have that or you want to do something into conjunction with that, a good cover crop is the way to go to get those organic matters built up in your soil. And they offer other benefits as well. Just like rye, for instance. Tell us about some things that rye will do besides the fact of giving us organic matter.
1: Well, it can hold weeds down, Mm -hmm. one thing. Um, And you got to be careful. Some of these cover crops have uh, chemicals in them. We call it allelopathy. And, uh, and and certain crops after certain cover force. crops. Can you spell can, that us? <laughs> 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 no, <laughs> no. It starts with man. Yeah. <laughs> A-L-L, and after that, you're on your own. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, but you know, but overall, things like rye, um, we've settled in pretty good. Rye's a good one for us because we can grow as a cover crop. We can graze it if we want to, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Um, really, to me, cover crops around here come down to, 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 to small grains like rye. My next choices would probably be wheat, and oats. And then clovers or uh, legumes, clover, vetches, and a host of other things, or then we'll talk about them mixtures of other things.
0: Right. So we, uh, we've seen this article in Farm Progress Magazine mm-hmm. that did a research project in Terrell County, which mm-hmm. is around mid Georgia, well, southern mid Georgia, I would say. It's not quite southern Georgia. And uh, you have some experience, or you talked to some of the people on that, but we want to go over that today because it's some really interesting finds that they found out during the study. Now, with with any study, you have to take it all with a grain of salt. It's, it's an outline to go around and to understand what may work and whatnot, but it's not ever etched in stone.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, things will be different for different farms, and this isn't a, uh, you know, like a... A replicated, randomized uh, research, it's it's a it's a farm demonstration, which is still, you know, you can, you can learn a lot from. And the county agent Seth McAllister, and I, I don't know, unfortunately I forget the grower's name, and the, the Jimmy Carter Plant Center, which is actually a re, another retired county agent named Nick McGee, got together. Uh, they called me and told me about it. I didn't get a chance to look at it, they've had some good pictures of it. and. Uh, it, it, it's really they—they're they, trying to—they they carved out some a big area and a big field and trying to see which one works better.
0: So they took this seventy-acre field, I believe, and they cut it up in four different sections mm-hmm. yeah. and did four different plantings on that, and then measured the results they got.
1: Yeah, they measured the biomass. They tried to estimate how much nitrogen they were going to get from it, and they planted cotton. And by the way, they're planting the cotton as we speak. I think mm-hmm. they started yesterday. They got one of the plots done. We're so gathering we'll, cotton. We'll, we'll know the. Yeah, we'll know the the results soon.
0: So this is what they did right here and this is some of the results they got off of. And we'll go over the first one and we'll kind of roll down that. The rye alone produced 39, 25 pounds of dry matter mm-hmm. per acre and 10 pounds of nitrogen per acre. Mm-hmm. Now the nitrogen really didn't, that fell pretty much in line, but you said the organic matter kind of.
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know. I didn't check their planting date and their seeding rate and their conditions and all that. But, you know, you, you know, that's about two tons of dry matter. And you can even get up, you know, three or four, maybe a size five tons right. in, in a good year or whatever. So um, I can't remember now what, what last winter was like, if it was wet, cold, or what it was. But yeah. uh, anyway, that probably had something to do with it. But uh, but it... Ten pounds of naturopathia, do you ask- that, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, uh, small grains... Um, they're not like a legume. They're not fixing nitrogen. They're not going to have a lot of nitrogen. And it all comes down to the carbon-nitrogen ratio of some of these things, too. We'll talk about that if you want.
0: Yep. The next one is the crimson clover alone produced 28, 24 pounds of dry matter per acre and gave 59 pounds of nitrogen per acre. Now, to me, on the dry matter, that seemed to be just a little low because at the right time, crimson can, can put out a lot of dry yeah, matter. Yeah, again, But on the nitrogen, I, that seemed about right to me.
1: Yeah, it makes a lot more sense, though. And that's and, and that's an estimate of if that's not how much nitrogen is actually in that clover itself. That what they did was is uh they, they measured they obviously measured the dry matter production and then they measured the nitrogen in the material and try to estimate these these nitrogen numbers are trying to estimate how much nitrogen will get to the cotton crop. Right. Is what these numbers are.
0: Right. So that's actually available nitrogen. That's what they yeah, that's yeah. the estimate. Right. Yep. The next one is when we get into some of the combinations, which is really interesting to me. The rye plus vetch produced 53.08 dry matter per acre, and gave 75 pounds of nitrogen per acre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we see some of these combinations. We get into some things that's near and dear to my heart. I love these. <laughs> I love we call them cocktails. I love these cocktails Cocktail that work as as cover crops here. Mm-hmm. Now this one is one that I've recommended for a long time. This is probably I tell people when they, if they go starting out with cover crops. This is the one to go with right here. Is the rye plus vetch because vetch being a legume, you get the best of both worlds there. Yep.
1: yep. it's a good one.
0: And I mean, you got decent. You got good dry matter there. Yeah, three hundred and eight pounds of dry matter per acre. So that's a that's a great one. Now here we get into the next one. They did a four-way. Mm-hmm. The rye clover vetch oaks produced sixty-one hundred and seventy-three pounds of dry matter per acre and gave sixty-six pounds of nitrogen per acre. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep, yep.
0: So when you start getting into some of these more mixes, it seems like the nitrogen goes down just a little bit. Yeah, I more mean- More competition.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, and, and these things can vary. It's a, um, it's a biological system. I mean, it all depends on how good a stand you have, the conditions, et cetera. Um, you know, even vetch versus clover is interesting to me because clover stays upright. Vetch will make that mat when it dies, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Have you ever had the vetch problem with the vetch climbing up and pulling down the Mm -hmm. rye? I have not seen that too. I don't think I don't know if that happens everywhere. Might not have happened here. Um, So you know, there's a lot of things to think about. But uh, you know, to me, just a cover crop, and and it would have been cool to have a no cover crop in this study. That would have been really interesting. Right. um, Because to me, all these look pretty good because. You know, the only thing a you know, rye, you say, yeah, it didn't give as much nitrogen. Well, you didn't expect it to. It didn't fix nitrogen, and 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 you know, we'll have to just put some extra nitrogen fertilizer on it.
0: And your your input cost is probably less on a rye.
1: Probably, yeah. Probably, yeah. You got you got seed cost, seeding rate. You know, cost to seed it too. You got to factor all that in there. Yeah. Yep.
0: But, you know the the veg, and you you mentioned this right here. It being a climbing plant, it really needs. It doesn't do well planted along, in my opinion. It needs mm-hmm. something to kind of trellis on. That's the reason it works so good with that yeah. rise. It can grow. It would also do well with oats.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oats just don't um, get as tall. And the other thing is, to, is actually two things is is you want to plant these things early enough to get a lot of growth on them, a lot of dry matter. But you also the mature residue is what's going to make your best organic matter. Uh, there's different carbon materials in plants, like cellulosis, hemicellulosis, and all that. But when a, when, a, when a plant gets mature, it gets lignin in it. And lignin is the one that really um, is resistant to being broken down and, and converted into CO2 and will really build your... So a mature cover crop is what you're looking for.
0: Now, if you to cut one of them stalks, is that what's on the very inside of that stem? I don't
1: think you can see the leg. Okay. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's a uh, magical it's, it's, thing. It, yeah, it's, it's, a, a, it's <laughs> one of the molecular level things. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a carbon material. Yep. But anyway. Um,
0: so, but. let's talk about legumes for a minute because it is so fascinating to me. <laughs> Tell us, t- and, and I'm probably going to learn something here today, too. Tell us how they work. We know they're little knots on the roots, but tell us (laughs) how it all works, comes together to make that little knot, why sometimes they they produce more nitrogen. Even the cover crops within a particular year, sometimes they will produce more nitrogen in other years. Yeah. And then tell us how it breaks down and and how soon does it break down? What's the change?
1: Right. Well, um, interesting about legumes, there's a lot of different legume plants, uh, both crops and uh, kudzu's legume, if you didn't know.
0: I really didn't know. I um, I probably forgot that.
1: And... uh, But but it's a special relationship between a bacteria, a certain bacteria, genus and species of bacteria, and the the legume plant itself. Uh, It's called Rhizobia bacteria. There's different species, like I said. And basically, as long as that bacteria is in the soil or we inoculate with that bacteria, the bacteria, as long as they're near those roots when they come out, they will infect the root. And it sounds bad, right? But it's actually going to be a what we call a symbiosis relationship because both the bacteria and the plant are going to get something out of this deal. You know, if it, if one was hurting the other, it'd be parasitism. But this is symbiosis. Anyway, the bacteria infects the root, and that's the plant forms that nodule, the knot around them, and that and that bacteria will live in that little nodule. It's actually anaero- anaerobic in there; air doesn't get into there. Really? Yeah. yeah. But so now you have this bacteria that has infected the root is living in that little nodule on the root. But then air's got to get down in the soil. People have a tendency to forget that. You've got to have pore space in air. What's air? 79% nitrogen. And that that air getting down to the to the root it gets in those nodules. And the, the bacteria use the energy from photosynthesis, so from the sun basically, is the energy source. The plant gives the, the bacteria the carbon, and in turn, the, the, the bacteria fixes nitrogen from the air that's in the soil to give to the plant. So they both get something out of the deal. Right. And they live happily ever after, and basically you're getting free nitrogen, if you will, just because inoculants aren't real expensive. Right. Bacteria aren't really so. Does it
0: have any, you know, what about lightning in the atmosphere? These storms, does that make that yeah. process yeah. happen quicker or better?
1: So, if you remember your high school chemistry, uh, nitrogen gas is N2 gas, it's a strong triple bond. An N3 lines another N. It takes a lot of energy to break that bond. When we make commercial fertilizer nitrogen, we have to burn fossil fuel, mm-hmm. we have to use natural gas. We also use natural gas as a hydrogen source to connect it to nitrogen. But it takes a lot of energy to break that bond. Well, what happens in a lightning storm, (laughs) lightning's got a lot of energy, and it will break the nitrogen in the air, and you will get some nitrogen after a thunderstorm. Now, you don't get a whole lot. You don't get as much as you think. We might get 10 pounds of of nitrogen per acre per year around here, maybe a little more. Mm -hmm. But you do get some nitrogen from from a lightning storm.
0: So, So if... I had a clover crop growing this year and I had one growing last year, but I had more lightning storms this year.
1: <laughs> I wouldn't count on the lightning storms <laughs> as well as a good guy. You're better off going with the clover, I think. You
0: know, one thing I've noticed years ago, I did this, and this is a little uh, experiment I did on my own. I didn't document anything, but I'll get your thoughts on that. So I had two different patches. One was a very healthy, rich soil. One was not. And I planted clover on both of them. In the springtime, I dug both of the root systems up and I examined the root systems. What I found was there was more nodules on that poor soil clover than there was to rich soil clover. Mm -hmm. Now, I made more biomass on the rich soil, Mm -hmm. but I made more uh, nodules on the poor soil. So my way of thinking was... That, that plant knew that soil was poor and it needed to capture more nitrogen for that soil, and it did, and the other one did not and created more biomass. Is there anything to that, or is that just?
1: Yeah, no, I think you're definitely on the right track. Uh, and But the other thing to think about is on that good soil, mm-hmm. you probably had a little bit of organic nitrogen yep. floating around in that. Right. So those bacteria or that plant, you can see they're either lazy or smart, because mm-hmm. if you give them nitrogen, they won't fix as much. Right. But if they didn't, in that poor area, like you said, they didn't have that extra nitrogen, they're going, they going. They knew they had to fix more. Right.
0: So. So, so the rule there is you should go by, is you make that clover, make those legumes work for it a little mm-hmm. bit, and they will actually right. work for that's you. Right.
1: You have to put a lot of nitrogen on them to make them stop anyway. I right. get that question all the time. You know, 20 or 30 pounds of nitrogen isn't going to make a legume stop fixing. You'd probably have to get up a, like 100 pounds of N per acre or something right. like that. But you're probably not going to do that either. I mean, that's, that's why you're growing the legume, to let it fix the nitrogen, hopefully.
0: Uh, you know, most of our legumes are wintertime legumes, cool season. However, we have been blessed with one that grows during the summertime, the sun hemp. Sun hemp. And that. that's been a good one, man. I planted it last year. I'm going to tell you, it's an awesome, awesome summer legume. can be troublesome to get rid of, but man, you talk talking about fixation the nitrogen and scavenging the nutrients and just being a good one to plant before any crop, if you can get it incorporated back into the soil, I was really impressed.
1: Before I forget, I, I don't know which particular rhizobia species you gotta put on that either because um, you probably know that, um, they're, they're, like I said, rhizobia, rhizobia is the genus and you have different species. So the, the same bacteria, inoculant we put on peanuts for example we can't put on soybeans right and the one for the thing i think vetch and clovers are together mm-hmm. or vetch and peas anyway but different clovers so clover is different so you right. gotta make sure if you if you try to put clover inoculant on a peanut or vice versa it's not yep. gonna work right it's a very specific relationship right. down to the species level of, that, of right. that bacteria
0: so our clover that we sell is coated with inoculant mm-hmm. which is wonderful if you've ever tried to put inoculant on to a seed now there's not as many seeds per pound, but you got that already on there, and you spread it out. The sun hemp that we sell, and I've not seen a coated sun hemp. So the sun hemp, you would need to inoculate it if there's never been a legume planted out there. Now, if they've been a legume planted out there, you wouldn't necessarily need to, correct?
1: Yeah, um, and I, I I don't have as much experience with with the clovers and sun sunhemp, but for example, peanuts. Again, we say as long as you have had well nodulated. Peanuts in that field within the last three years. Technically, you shouldn't even have to inoculate. Now, I still like farmers it because inoculant's not that expensive, and and it just assures you're going to get a lot of good fixation. But but what happens is there's other host plants that some of these rhizobia can live on. So such um, as uh, well with peanuts, it's on beggar beggar weed or really? beggar lace. Okay. So most fields have beggar lace in them. So uh, again, a peanut we can we can pretty much assure if you've had good peanuts in there last. Three or four years, you probably didn't technically need a inoculant, right?
0: Though. So there's there's a new inoculant or a new formulation that we we sold this year for peas, it comes in a shaker can, hmm. so you shake it, you bush bust out your clo- your your fur, you can either plant. And then shake it out like a shaker can, mm-hmm. or you can shake it out. And then plant your peas on top for a small garden. I thought this was wonderful.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's real handy. Well, you know, we used to just throw it in the hopper box yeah. next the seed. The problem with that is sometimes you can damage your seed when you're doing that. Uh, uh, a lot of peanut growers now they use liquid inoculants and they squirt them in the furrow.
0: Oh, okay. That's how
1: they do it. Mm. So they get this little bladder full. It's a it's a bladder, a plastic bladder inside a box, and it tells you you know you only need so many ounces per acre, and they mix it with water, and it's one of the things they squirt into the furrow. Hmm. That's how they do it.
0: Yeah. So how does how does how quick and what's the chain of these uh, nodules on this legumes breaking down?
1: Well, you know, it, and you think that's where all the nitrogen comes from, but but really the biggest benefit is is that plant itself has fixed all that free nitrogen and that breaks down. Um, I don't know what the percentage is. The actual nitrogen coming out of the nodule itself is probably not that much, um, because you think about it, you got all that top growth. And then you got the roots and then you got the nodules. So you get um, nitrogen from all three. You get of it, them so all from them, but yeah. you know, the majority is top growth. It, oh really? The, yeah, that's where you're getting all your nitrogen from.
0: Okay. I don't know why
1: I was assuming you was getting it from that nodule down you're, there. No, you're getting some. Yeah. But 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 really the majority of it is is all that. So
0: biomass growth. is imported.
1: Yep, back to this thing. Yes, yeah, biomass
0: is imported as how much nitrogen you're gonna put back in there. Yeah.
1: That's where it's at. Wow. Now you still so I get this question all the time, well what happens if you take you you cut it or you or you graze it? you still get something. And, and and a lot of times what you do is you get an effect of having nitrogen. We call them non-nitrogen rotation effects. So it's as if you had some nitrogen. So it's not a zero, but but, but leaving it out there is, is and let it break down and get to the next crop is, is where you get the most nitrogen.
0: You know, in a garden situation, the biggest problem people have is extinguishing that cover crop and getting it back into the soil and being able to plant after that. A lot of people are not Fortunate enough to have a bunch of expensive and elaborate equipment to do that. Mm-hmm. Now, the best thing is that flail mower. Mm-hmm. Flail it up yep. and yep. then till it or hair it back yep. into the... Hairing would be better than I use than my lawn mower, my <laughs> ride mower,
1: but don't tell anybody. But it has the same thing. Basically, it, the it fixes my mower knows right. that. He's like, what are these corn stalks doing yep. in your mower? Anyway.
0: But you, you you mow it off and then you kind of work it back into the soil. You do it with a tiller, I'm assuming.
1: Yep. I yep. have a front-time tiller. Yep. Yeah.
0: You work with what you got. So that's one of the biggest problems. And that's the reason I tell people with the, the sun hemp, I says if you got a small area out there and you don't have nothing but a lawnmower, you probably don't want to plant sun hemp because yeah. you're not going to run over it with lawnmower. Man, stalks get tough. But you know, rye plus vetch and these clovers are pretty easy to get rid of. For the most part, your winter cover crops are fairly easy to extinguish versus a lot of your summer cover crops.
1: Yeah. Like we said, you got to be careful. Like crimson clover is fine, but you wouldn't want to plant like red clover. It's just going to want to keep on growing when you're trying to get it stopped. Right. That kind of thing. And, uh, you know, ideally you would leave all this stuff intact and try to plant through it or somehow, which is really difficult because once you chop it up, you think about it, you're increasing the surface area of all that stuff. And then the microbes in the soil are going to chew on it and they're going to release a lot of it as CO2 up into the air. Yeah. So um, I tried
0: years ago, so I had this experiment I was going to do. I used to be a lot worse than I am now. So I planted clover, and then I went out there when it just started coming up, and I went ahead and marked my rose off. And I went through there and tilled where my rose was going to be. And I kept that worked up, and I planted my watermelons in there, and I left my crisp clover in my walkways. You know, in your mind, you say that's a perfect scenario how it works. Mm-hmm. It did not work well because it didn't all die out at the right time. Now they make these crimpers and things like that. and If I had some of that, it might would mm-hmm. work, but it just didn't work out well. Was for it me. green
1: too? It was green. You got to be careful because um, one thing with green tissue, they call it the green bridge. You can get uh, insects, diseases. They 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 want to live in that stuff too, and they'll go right to your young crop coming up. Mm-hmm. So I personally like to try to have that stuff, you know somehow killed, desiccated, whatever.
0: Right, yeah, and that's, that's what I found out was the best way you to do it. You don't experience. want to lay a match on it either.
1: Right, you don't uh, want to burn up the yeah, magic. The, 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 the carbon all goes right. up smoke. So, right, yeah.
0: right, So the main thing I hope people can take away today is you got to be planting some of these cover crops in your garden. You got to be trying, heck, try something out there. You know, to have something growing on your garden during these months when, you, when they normally would be sitting bare, it's going to add tremendous value to your soil.
1: Yep. If you happen to be on a slope, it'll help with erosion. Yep. That's another benefit of a cover crop.
0: And if, you know, like we mentioned, if you got animals, you can always use it to help yep. them get Grace. them through the winter as well. And that rye there is a wonderful one yep. to... Uh, forge off of. If you want to
1: think about erosion, just always think of the Little Grand Canyon in Georgia. If you, yep. you've been there, right? Yep. It's, uh, that's an amazing testament to what can happen if you don't right. stop erosion. They needed some cover crops, didn't they? They did. They tried <laughs> kudzu, you know, when it started.
0: No, I didn't. Oh, yeah, that. when it
1: was about chest deep, they tried to plant kudzu. That was back when they were planting kudzu right. on the roadsides and everything. But once it hit that sand layer, it, it was just, all over, uh, yeah. all she wrote.
0: Yep. yep. All right, well, good deal. Well, thank you, Glenn. Maybe we have enlightened me. somebody on cover like crops today. yeah.
1: And we had some good food.
0: So and we, we had, had good. some good food. And yeah. We had some good stats to give me. Yep. Everybody always yep. loves stats. I do, too.
1: Yeah, I'll check with Seth and the county agent and get more data on that if you want.
0: Good deal. Yep. Well, you know what? What about the corny joke of the week?
1: We almost forgot it. All right. <laughs> yep. You want to go first or let me go? I,
0: I don't have one, so we're just going to work oh, on yours. Geez, yeah. oh, man, pressure. Yeah. that's pressure. Yeah. That's too
1: much pressure. Yeah. All right. What do you get when you drop a pumpkin? Man, I... Um, squash. <laughs> <laughs> you like that one? <laughs> all right. I, I thought you had heard that one before. I thought you hey, were going to go squash. <laughs> all
0: right. <laughs> all right. Thank you all. Thank you for joining us. Now time to get out there and get in that dog garden and get dirty.